Welcome to B2B Marketers on a Mission, a podcast for change makers where we question the conventional, debunk marketing myths, provide actionable tips, think differently, disrupt industries, and take your marketing to a new level. From improving your campaigns to making you a better marketer, these are the inspirational stories that will help us change the way we think and approach B2B marketing one conversation at a time. This podcast is brought to you by Einblick Consulting, helping you to stand out in the market and drive revenue to your B2B business. And now your host, Christian Klepp. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of B2B Marketers on the Mission. This is the show where we help you to question the conventional, think differently, disrupt your industry, and take your marketing to new heights. This is your host, Christian Klepp, and today I'm joined by someone on a mission. Let me see if I can get this right. To save B2B marketers from doing the same webinar over and over again through a combination of strategy and technology. So, Melissa Kwan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Christian. Great to be connected, Melissa. I really loved our previous conversation. So let, let's see this as an extension of that conversation then, shall we? And uh, let's dive in. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, Melissa, in a previous conversation, uh, you were, well, we talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that really stood out was you talked about the future of marketing where marketers can leverage automated webinars to scale more efficiently. But before we go into that, um, I just wanted to share this with the audience because it's something you shared with me. And in fact, it was a link to, let me see if I get this correctly, the 2022 B2B Buying Disconnect Report. I thought that was a really interesting title. So this is a report where 2,185 tech buyers were surveyed. Um, as you can imagine, there were a lot of statistics and figures in this report, but one of them that really jumped out at me was this one. Virtually 100% of buyers want to self-serve all or part of their buying journey, which is up 13% from the previous year. So over to you, why do you think that is? Well, I mean, we... I think we just have to think about ourselves as consumers, right? Like when you want to buy something, and I don't mean software, software more so than anything, but let's say you want to buy TV. What is the first thing that you do, right? You look at reviews, you go on Best Buy or Amazon, you ask your friends, you know, you might be in a, in a chat group and you see like, hey, has anyone purchased something recently, right? Like you go to your community, you see, you know, like you go to your trusted source, which is not a salesperson, right? We're, we're very aware that salesperson just wants to sell us something. It's the same reaction, like knee-jerk reaction when we walk into a store and somebody says, hey, can I help you? Immediately, you're, you tense up and you're like, no, I'm just looking. Even when you're not looking, right? We're kind of trained to do that. So I think, I mean, I think the report just justifies and reassures what we already know about ourselves. When we want to buy anything at all, we want to do our own research because we trust our community. We trust the internet. We trust people, right? Volumes of people. That's why there's all these review sites. And then when we're ready, we go into the store and we might go and test the salesperson on what we found and then see if they're honest 
right? And then we go and choose that salesperson that we might buy it from. So I think that's a pretty, you know, relatable journey, right? To anybody listening. Um, and I think that's what the report is, right? It doesn't mean that a hundred percent of people do not want to buy from a salesperson. It just means that they want to self-serve their buying journey. It means that when I want to research and discover, I want to do it on my own because I trust me more than I trust you. Right. And that's what I find really interesting because last year the percentage was 87%. And I think during, you know, COVID, of course, um, this dirty word. And in the last two years, we've become more secluded, right? We've become more reliant on the internet. And so it doesn't surprise me that just a year later, that percent is now a hundred, which is pretty impressive, right? For any survey. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you brought up so many great points. And I think it's going back to what you said earlier. It's almost like human nature and just the way that we behave that if I mean, I am definitely one of those people that if I go into a store, and a salesperson approaches me, my first reaction is like avoid eye contact. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do yeah. not look them in the eye, you're like look in the other direction and pretend you're just like, uh, you spotted something on the shelf, right? Because it's not even confrontational. It's just that you, you know, if they come up to you and say, can I help you? And then you have to engage them in conversation. And, and that's how they kind of reel you in. Right. Yeah. Right. No, exactly. exactly. And you almost want to like, you almost want to lead the conversation. Yes. Right. Well, like, what do you think about this model versus this model? Because you want to seem smart so you don't get tricked into right. buying something right. that they wanted you to buy. Right. right? And what, now we have the information to be able to do that. Exactly. Exactly. So um, building on that, moving on to the next question, uh, let's talk about mistakes and misconceptions that you've seen out there. Um, I'm going to say working more creatively, but what we're referring to here is specifically around creating on-demand demos and webinars. So what have, what have you seen um, and what should B2B marketers do about it? Yeah, I mean, I think the number one mistake is you don't do it, right? Because you think I must talk to this person. And I mean, salespeople, and I am a salesperson, are kind of notorious for that, right? Like, if I don't speak to this person, this person will not get the value and therefore won't buy from me. But that goes against the report that we just talked about is people want to discover on their own. They want to control their own buying journey, but they also want the power to reach out to you when they're ready on their time, not on your time. But there's so many, you know, particularly B2B sales and marketers that are so stuck in their ways about how I must talk to the person because I know everything, they're going to have objections and then you know, they're going to want me to be there. But is that true, right? Why is it when we're buyers, we don't want to give the seller any information, but when we're sellers, we want to, you know, hold back all that information. And that is exactly the B2B buying disconnect is we are, we, we want everything, but we don't want to give everything, right? So I think the number one mistake is believing that you are more important than you are. Right. And that and that means like you you think the consumer is not already doing their research, but that just means that you as a marketer or a salesperson, your role has changed right to more of an advisor role and maybe less of an educator, right? Less of an actual like, you know, an aggressive salesperson. Right. Um, you're there really to guide that person to make that decision and to make them feel comfortable. And I think the second mistake um, is that 
because they think that they have to do it one-on-one, they're unable to scale their strategy. Because if you think that you have to talk to someone in order to sell them, then you are limiting your prospecting to your own availability and your own schedule. And in this day and age where we serve, you know, 24 different time zones, if you sell around the world, or even if you sell nationally in the, in the U.S., you're serving six different time zones. How can I expect that when the prospect is available, that I'm available and vice versa, right? So I think those two things kind of go hand in hand. Um, and if marketers are able to recognize the trend of people wanting to do their own research, then what they will do is put out more content so that when the person is researching and looking to educate themselves, that the information is there on many different channels, right? So it's not, you, you can, you can no longer dictate when and where people look for content and look for you. You can only be there, right? When they're looking. Those are some really great points that you brought up. And it brings me back to a conversation I had on the show with another guest. And uh, his name is Vladimir Blagojevich. Um, he runs a, uh, he runs a company called B2B, like the Full Funnel Academy. And um, he said basically something to that effect where it was like, marketers need to learn how to sell the way their best customers buy. And I think that's what you were trying to say in so many words, right? Yeah. Because, and and just adding on to that um, made me think of a question too, uh, which I'm going to um, throw over to you. On the topic of, um, well, people call it different things, but dark social. How, um, what kind of a role do you think that plays in what I'm, you've been I'm, talking about the past couple of minutes? I'm not sure what dark social is. Okay. Okay. No problem. Uh, let me, let me explain it to you. And once I do, you'll be like, ah, yeah. Okay. So it's <laughs> <Okay>. basically, <laughs> it's, it's not a thing. In fact, I think it's a, uh, you can say it's a, it's a collection of places in this wider ecosystem that marketers cannot directly control. And what that means is like people having a chat, like what you were saying earlier, looking at reviews, people having chats mm -hmm. and forums, um, sending each other uh, emails or messages in, in a private messenger and saying, hey, Melissa, have you heard about this company? You know, they're selling this kind of software. What's your take on that, right? So people yeah. going out into the world and asking contacts in their professional or personal network, like, um, you know, for their opinion, for their advice, for their recommendations, right? So all yeah. of that and much, much more is uh, what is considered dark social. Oh, that's interesting. I guess you learn something yeah. new every day. Yeah. I mean, it, it, um, it's not, it's not as shady and illegal as it sounds. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm, yeah I'm disappointed. <laughs> I'm disappointed. Yeah. We're not talking yeah. about something shady and illegal. Yeah. I mean, you can call it dark social and mm. you can say that you're not controlling it, but you are right. Like mm -hmm. why do we invest in keyword research and SEO and appearing in the first page of Google? Where mm -hmm. do you think those people are getting that information? Right. Like one of our best performing articles is, you know, the 12 best automated webinar software. Who do you think wrote that? <laughs> right. We wrote that. And our logo is on the top of that blog. And when someone is researching other software and sending it to their friends and sending it to their company to look at the different solutions that are out there, it's our voice that, you know, they they're reading and then they're, they're you know, regurgitating to somebody else. So I think what's interesting is 
I came into this company thinking, I mean, I've been in sales for like 15, 20 years, like since I was 18, my first job was in sales and coming to this company, which I started four years ago, all I do now is create content. Like I didn't know coming into this role that I was no longer going to sell because content is actually the new sales and marketing. But I don't mean like just blogs, right? Like I write on LinkedIn once a day. That's where I met you. Um, we create like, you know, webinar templates that live inside our app and our website. And then we do podcasts and interviews. And each one of those we transcribe into an article. And then we also invest in, you know, three to four pieces of long form content. Like, but all of that, I guess, is to control the voice of how we are represented when other people talk about us. Another piece of great content where we do that is customer testimonials. If I can't get a customer on the phone to do a 15-minute interview with me, I'll send them the questions to get them to you know, record themselves. And then I'll transcribe that into a customer story, which then lives on our website. Right. So I think as, as dark as we say it is, people are getting that information somewhere. And that's something that I, I think you you have full control over. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And it, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not really a big fan of that label either. I don't know why it's being called that, but like, again, because it has this negative connotation, right? When you say dark, dark this, dark that, right? And it's not, and it's not necessarily something negative. In, in, in fact, um, after this conversation we're having, it's probably even to a certain degree more positive than anything, right? Yeah. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second, but first... Is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. You brought up a really, well, you brought up a, a couple of great points in the past couple of minutes, which is a wonderful segue into the next question, because like on the topic of um, creating on-demand webinars and demos, not everybody thinks this way, but some might, that they'll be like, okay, well, you know, then I'll, I'll just sign up for this platform and I'll just push a button and click away and then presto, it's all said and done. And we all know that that necessarily isn't uh, the case, right? So on the so here's the question: How important do you think planning, strategy, research, and understanding who these on-demand webinars and demos are for? How you know what kind of a role does that all that play? I mean, I think as marketers, it's always most important to understand who's buying your product, right? And the most important reason is because number one, you want to know where they live, and then number two, you want to use their language right? To solve the problem that they're looking to solve, right? When we, about six months after we started this company, um, I went on an exercise to do like a deep dive on who our ICP is. And I just interviewed, like it was like a five page full of questions, interviewed our 10 best customers and on like, you know, what problem they wanted to solve when they found us, what was the most frustrating thing about that problem, what problem caught like that, what, how much money that problem was costing them, their benefits of using our solution. And then I had all this content, which I then turned into all of the content for our website, all of our nurturing emails, onboarding emails, every single marketing piece of content that we put out there is actually using our customers' words. So when they come to our demo or they come to our site, they're they're actually connecting with us, right? They feel like 
they feel like we understand them, right? That's that's number one. So I think that's part of the strategy. But the other part of the strategy that nobody really thinks about is when you sell to somebody one-on-one, right? Like when you are live with a person, it's very easy to sell them because you can tell by their facial expression, by how they ask you questions, what objections they have, and then you can handle that immediately. Like you can change their mind on the spot. When you create an on-demand video, a commercial, an on-demand webinar, you have to sell to someone without talking to them. And that is a completely different strategy. And people think, oh, I have a demo this way or I have a sales pitch this way. It's always worked for me. I'm just going to take the exact same thing and I'm going to put it into a video and make it an automated webinar. It's going to convert for me. Every single day, I have people canceling because they're like, oh, this doesn't work for me. It's it's not as good as like one-on-one demos. It's like, well, of course, because you're treating it like a one-on-one demo. When you create a sales pitch, knowing the other person can't ask you any questions, it's a completely different strategy in the sense that you have to handle all of their objections before they even come up because they don't have the, you don't have the opportunity to react in real time. So if you're using an automated webinar platform like eWebinar, you have the ability to respond to a chat message in real time or respond later by email, but you're not always there. So you have to also prep for the times that you're not there. So I actually did a a workshop on this called um, the five elements of an effective on-demand demo, which I can share in in the show notes as well, on how to structure a presentation to guide people to a close without ever talking to them. And there's another book that I would recommend. Um, It's called Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs by Carmine Gallo. Steve Jobs did not write it. Carmine Gallo was someone that studied Steve Jobs. It is like literally my business Bible. And a lot of the sales strategies and presentation like scripting that I learned is actually um, from this book. So I would, would really highly recommend that. So I think in terms of strategy is number one, make sure you're using the language that your customers are using to describe their own problem and then to solve their own problem so that you look more credible and knowledgeable. But number two is you need to script your sales pitch in a way that helps them understand your problem and the value, your the problem you're trying to solve and the value that you can deliver them without ever talking to them. One more time for the people in the back, please. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. No, um, Two questions uh, as a follow-up for you. Number one is, uh, could you please repeat the name of that book again? Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Okay. Okay. So that one, so that one for the listeners out there who are interested. And number two, um, you brought up, I think you highlighted some really good points about the difference between, you know, selling to somebody who's there and somebody who's well online and you're not physically in front of them and what have you. Um, one of the follow-up questions that I would have is like, how often in your experience, how often do you find yourself or do you see clients going back and having to update that content and that presentation? Because especially if you can't be in front of that person, right? And, you know, the market changes, customer behavior changes, there there needs to be a bit of like a updating of content and so forth. So how often do you see that happening? Yeah, I mean, I think it all depends on, um, you know, how often you update your product and and maybe like how comfortable you are with not updating your content. Like I'm very lazy. So 
when we rolled out our product, I ironically did one-on-one demos for eight weeks straight. And the reason I did that was because I needed to learn the language and the objections that my customers have before I could automate my sales pitch and my demo, right? Until you do that, you can't go and just automate your demo and say, oh, that's going to sell for me, right? You have to understand every single question that your customer is going to ask throughout the sales pitch so you can work that into your own sales presentation. So we automated that demo for about nine months. Um, And then of course, once you automate it, you start understanding at which point do people ask me what question? Where where did I miss something? What resource should I surface? What should I talk more about? So one of the things might be like, for some reason, we surfaced the pricing page in the very beginning, but within three minutes, everybody asked, where's the pricing? Like, I don't know. There's something about that, that they're interested in, but they're not reading what's on the side. So my new demo, like after nine months of learning all this stuff throughout the 20 minute demo, I took all this learning and I scripted a brand new demo. And that demo um, we've run for the last year. All the UI already on my products has already changed, but I'm not updating that demo <laughs> right? because the, the general idea of what it is has, has changed. The only, the only reason, like the only way that someone knows that the product on the demo looks a bit different than what there is now is if they really, really looked for it. Like no one has actually pointed that out. So I'm comfortable using an old demo because I'm more about the content and less about the screens. Right. Like kind of the general flow is kind of the same, but I know people that are obsessive, like every single UI change, they change the demo. Like I, like for me, it's, it's just not that important because I really focus on the big picture Mm -hmm. and less about the actual features itself. And actually the workshop that I did talks about this, right? If you, Mm -hmm. if your demo is made up of mini stories of how your existing customers have been successful using your product, then the actual feature itself matters a lot less because then it's about the outcome and way less about the actual operations. Right, right, right. That's a really interesting point. That's a really interesting point. And I suppose you're right. It does depend on, um, it does depend on several factors, right? There's probably not like a yes or no answer to that. Um, it depends on your product, depends on how often you um, you want to update it or or introduce a new product, in fact, to the market, right? There's, so there's a lot of factors that come into play. Next question is giving you an opportunity to showcase your company and your uh, your capabilities even more. But um, talk to us about a recent challenge. And when I say recent, like in the past 12 months, mm-hmm. a challenge that you helped to solve for a customer. Yeah. So one that comes to mind uh, is a company called later.com. Of course, also proudly Canadian. (laughs) I'm also Canadian. You're Canadian. (laughs) Um, So uh, Mm later.com, they were struggling with, of course, scaling their onboarding and training. I mean, they're, they're a business technology, but really for like consumers as well as businesses. Um, and they have, they've got, I mean, I don't even know how many users they have, but tons of users, new signups every day. And prior to us, they were hosting about two to live webinars every single month. And that was that capacity because while they have a support team, their support team was not hired to run webinars, not like they weren't hired to run onboardings, right? They do many, many different things, but they couldn't find a way to scale without losing that personal touch 
Because if a customer doesn't get activated in the first couple of weeks, you're kind of losing that customer. Right? And as a growing company, um, you need to make sure that, you know, you, you need to make sure that people are actually converting and paying. So after us, um, they were able to, they were able to scale um, all their onboarding and training, especially for new customers using, you know, a video. And they actually now host over a hundred webinars every single month with no live host and spend about an hour a day. Like people on support spend about an hour a day responding to questions when they come to work and their attendance has actually gone up six times as compared to before when they had to have a live person. And this is someone that said to me, you know, yes, you're running a one hour training, but it's actually kind of half a day, right? Like you have to prep for it, you have to do it. And then it's stressful. You don't know if the connection's going to be right. The time zone's not right for everybody. You've got a second person managing the chat. And then after it's done, it's just like, oh, I need to decompress for a bit. Right. So a one hour webinar is never really a one hour webinar, right? Especially like if you're introverted, it might be like a full day. So that's like one of the most recent success stories is like from two to four live at capacity to now over a hundred every single month. And imagine like what, what kind of workforce do you need to actually run a hundred webinars? Like you just won't be able to. So they're running yeah. these around the clock and then attendance has actually gone up, not down. Wow. Wow. Just give me a second to digest all of that. Like, they went from two to four live webinars, if I heard you correctly, to a hundred a month. Yeah, Oof, that's a ton. And yeah, to answer your question, I mean, like you'd probably need an army to like uh, manage a hundred webinars if they were live. Right? Well, these are not a hundred yeah. different webinars. So what they've done yeah. is they have different tracks for sure. different, um, you know, different users, different types mm -hmm. of users, whether it's like beginner, intermediate, advanced, mm -hmm. and then on different, yeah. um, you know, different. I guess, categories of the product. Yes. Um, they have mm -hmm. like, you know, different types of products within. Yeah. So they might be running, like if I remember correctly, 12 or 13 webinars, but it's a, mm -hmm. on a recurring schedule. Mm -hmm. The best mm -hmm. thing about automating your webinar is it's not once a week, once a month, <laughs> once a quarter. It's mm -hmm. recurring as many as you want. Our biggest customer has over 300 different webinars running concurrently. It's a publicly traded company. They've got, they basically have outsource a support team just to answer questions from those webinars. But you can imagine like, what does it take to run 300 different webinars every single month? Like it's, it's just impossible. A lot, <laughs> a lot. Absolutely. Right. On to the next question. So one of the things that we really like to do on the show is give listeners actionable tips. So what steps can B2B marketers take right now to improve when it comes to creating on-demand webinars and demos? Off you go. Yeah, I think the most actionable tip is to get started today, right? And the thing that you can do is everybody has a replay of a previous webinar that you did. Maybe you did one last week, last month, whatever it might be. Use eWebinar to deliver your replay. Like tell people, hey, this is a replay, but you can still chat with me if you have questions. And when you use something like eWebinar, it's not just like a YouTube video, right? Throughout, like the thing that makes us unique is throughout the experience, you can program things like polls, questions, resources, contact forms. So as a marketer, the more you run it, the more data you're actually collecting from your customer. Like my first question is always, how did you hear about our company? And then I actually surface that question again in the middle in case they didn't answer the one in the beginning. 
So in the past year, you know, 30% of people have actually answered that question, but 3000 people have joined that demo without me ever talking to them. So that data you're getting is super valuable, but use whatever video you have, deliver it as a replay and just get a feel for what that experience is like, right? Because I think people are so stuck on like, well, I know what a webinar is. It's a Zoom. I've done a Zoom. Why can't I just do it on Zoom? Or like, oh, it's a video. Why can't I just put it on YouTube, right? This is something that you really have to experience. Um, and if you want to, you can go to ewebinar.com. We have a demo that's, of course, delivered through ewebinar as well, just to get a feel for what your customers see. Mm-hmm. And the aha moment is when someone's in your webinar asking you a question and you're responding to them on your phone in your pajamas. Like that is the aha moment. And once you get there, you like a light bulb will come on and you will think of all the different use cases and places you can actually use this. Because at that point, you fully understand, oh, this type of asynchronous communication is something that we already do. Right? No one's going to be offended because Christian is not there at 3 a.m., right? My time. They're just happy to get a response and get the content that they want at the time of discovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. So you've given us some actionable tips now. Now we move on to the next bit, which is metrics. So how can people, if they implement these, you know, take these steps, they implement these tips that you've recommended, how can they tell if it's working? You know, that is a great question. Um, So we have, I want to say, probably, mm-hmm. and I'm saying probably because I don't yeah. want to be like too conceited, sure. <laughs> um, the most comprehensive, beautiful, actionable analytics report on registrants okay. and attendee activity data okay. that you may ever see on not just any webinar platform, yeah. but like most SaaS platforms don't put as much thought into this. The person who mm-hmm. designed it is actually what um, used to be one of the design leads from Apple. Mm. Um, and we were so lucky to get some of his time. But basically, we show you exactly how many visitors you had to your registration page, how many percent registered, what percent attended, what percent converted. So whether your conversion is book a time on my calendar or sign up for a free trial or you know buy this product or buy this course, we can show you all of that in a funnel how effective it is. And because the webinar is recurring, it's not a one-time event, the average attendance rate of all of our customers across the board is 65%. The industry average for webinar attendance rate is around 30%, 30, 35%. Just so, yeah. yeah, so that's 30 to 40% higher than the industry average. Um, and that's just on average across the board. We have customers that are reporting 87, 90, you know, 90% attendance rate week over week. And that's really something that you have to like experience and see to believe. That's why I say like, if you have something already out there, give it a try, look at the metrics for yourself because those don't lie. And then allow your brain to get more creative about the different places that, that you can be using this. Fantastic. Fantastic. So if I'm, Hearing what you've been saying in the past couple of minutes correctly, there isn't like one single metrics. In fact, it's a collection, right? It's a it's a group of metrics that you need to measure, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I'm I always want to be super weary about quoting sure. metrics, right? Mm-hmm. Because we all know that conversion depends on copy, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. 
and you yes, can attend. <laughs> yeah. And you, if you can attend, but if your host or, you know, is not energetic and not a great presenter, or, or if the content is not great, then you drop off. So I, I don't want to say, oh, in this industry, the watch, uh, you know, the watch percentage is on average of X percent. The reason why I'm comfortable saying the attendance rate is because that's completely across the board, across yeah. almost a thousand of our customers. And attendance rate is literally just showing up. In my own demo, um, in the past 12 months, 3,000 people have joined the demo, like actually attended. I'm looking at the the graph right now. Mm -hmm. um, and our attendance rate was 87.4%. Our conversion rate from attendee to sign up for a trial is 23%. Before I learned anything from this demo, the conversion rate was 17%. And then we know that anyone who comes into a trial, because we require credit card and things like that, um, the conversion rate, depending on the month, is anywhere between 55 to 70%. Mm. Right. Mm. Those are those are incredible statistics. And, and it seems to me, I mean, this is probably like short of stating the obvious. This is like a process of continuous improvement, it sounds like. Right. It's like something that I mean, at least from what you've been talking about for the past couple of minutes, it's it's something that you need to continuously iterate to see what's working, what's not, and to improve. As you, as you I mean, isn't that what we do? <laughs> right? Isn't that what we do as marketers? Right? Like, I mean, I think once you, like, why do people automate things, right? Mm -hmm. Not only for scale, but because sure. your team is small. Yeah. Like, I don't have the luxury to mm -hmm. not automate something because I'm bootstrapped. My team is very small. Like I am mostly everything, you know, everything except for code. So I want to automate to lower my own support. So the more I learn from this, the more I iterate, the less I have to actually manage that process. And that's actually my goal. Scaling is almost just a bonus. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. I, I, I personally think that you've been on your soapbox already, but this next question is another opportunity for you to stay up there. Okay. <laughs> okay. You ready? So a status quo in your area of expertise that you passionately disagree with and why? Yeah. Um, that all videos are made equal. Like that is something that I passionately disagree with. And every day I get this question, right? If it's just a video, why don't, why can't I just put it on YouTube or Wistia or my knowledge base, right? Because content is just as much about the content as the medium of delivery. Whether I watch something on Instagram or TikTok or intercom knowledge base or YouTube or e-webinar, right? My mindset is completely different. When I attend a webinar, I am blocking off time to give to you, you know, maybe 30 to 60 minutes of my time to allow you to speak to me so that I can be converted. When I go to YouTube, I might be doing some discovery because I know I can press play and also pause and I can bounce at any time, right? When I go to TikTok, I'm literally just flipping. When I go to Instagram, I just want to look at ads, right? Or maybe like my friend's photos. I'm, I'm not really in the mindset of consuming business content, right? So if if YouTube was enough, then Zoom would not exist, right? So if YouTube was enough, then nobody would be using eWebinar. But anybody that uses eWebinar understands that the medium of delivery is just as important 
as the content itself. And that's, again, something that has to be experienced because like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, eWebinar is not just about delivering a video. It's about delivering an immersive, interactive, engaging, participatory experience where when you're in it, you're answering questions, you're answering polls, you're, you know, you're getting resources, you've got contact forms, you've got banners that pop up, you've got hotspots that you can click on. And most importantly, it's an opportunity for you to reach out to the person on the other side because we have that chat component. Whereas nowhere else where a video is present, can you actually reach out to chat with the other person? You might be able to comment under the video, but that's just not where people get information, right? That context is is also different. I would encourage people to look at the different mediums and how videos are being consumed to determine what type of content is best on YouTube versus Instagram versus Facebook versus automating as a webinar. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Melissa, this was such an awesome conversation. I think we could have gone on for another six hours or so, but you know, in the interest of time and it, and I do appreciate you coming on at you know such a late time over there in Hong Kong. So uh, please, a uh, quick intro to yourself and uh, how folks out there can get in touch with you. Yeah, so my name again is Melissa Kwan, spelled K-W-A-N. Uh, the best way to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. Um, and if you're curious about how eWebinar can help you or your business, and if you want to stop doing the same webinar over and over again, just head over to eWebinar.com. Uh, join the demo that we have on the homepage, and I am always managing the chat. So if you have a question, type that to me. I'll respond to you. If not immediately, then of course, through email. Fantastic. Fantastic. Melissa, once again, this has been such an incredible session. Thanks again for your time. Take care, stay safe, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.imblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.